the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world has a legitimate right to look at a church that is split and people who are ganguzmoy with one another and arguing and complaining and griping and muttering under their breath and never having a nice word to say about another believer. The world has a legitimate right to look at that church and those believers and say the message of Christianity has no credibility with me. We who profess to love God and we who profess to have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, when we can't get along with one another who we know in the family, how can we expect the world to believe us about the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son? You see, you lose all credibility. Funhouse mirrors give such distorted reflections that they are a little nauseating, at least to me. Sadly, that is all too often the way people who claim to be Christians reflect Jesus to the world around them. In my life, I've known a few people who claim the name of Christ, yet live their lives in such a way that others have told me that if so-and-so is a Christian, then I want no part of it. I'm glad that I've seen many more instances of the opposite. People who by their love for each other, their unity with other believers, their peaceable natures and personal integrity draw their friends and acquaintances to Jesus. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside since 1981. Now we at Verse by Verse Ministries have the pleasure of adapting his messages to radio. We are well into our in-depth study of Philippians chapter 2 and unity in the church. There are many things that can have a negative effect on church unity. One of them is grumbling. I don't mean legitimate suggestions for improvement, but the chronic grumblers who just don't seem to be able to live harmoniously. Complainers in the church cause grief for the leadership and eventually can break a church apart if they are allowed to continue the practice. As Pastor Steve resumes the message he began in our last class, keep your finger in your Bible in chapter 2 of Philippians, and let's consider some other verses that deal with this issue. Murmuring and complaining is associated in the Bible with Israel. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10.10, Paul says, Now these things happened, not just to understand in an Old Testament context, these things happened as examples for us, that we might not murmur and complain, because God struck down the Israelites in the wilderness for that. So it's a very serious sin, because ultimately you're complaining against God. Ultimately. You're saying, God, I'm not content. I really don't like what you've done in my life. I really don't trust your sovereignty, nor do I care for your providence. I have a better plan. That's why it's a serious sin. In fact, there's probably, uh, apart from pride, which it, it connects with pride, there's probably no more serious of a sin than that, complaining against God. In fact, in, in Romans, I think it's Romans chapter 9, Paul speaks of an imaginary adversary who debates with God about election. And Paul says, who are you, O oh man, to answer God? 
You puny man, who do you think you are to complain to God and say, why have you made me this way? So the Israelites murmured, however, while all of that is true, and it's always a sin to murmur and complain against God's will in your life, I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. I just wanted you to know that. In Philippians 2, and some take it that he's talking about that, but I take it that Paul isn't addressing the sin of criticizing God or a leader in the church, but the context is church unity. That, that's what he's saying before this. That's what he's saying after this. It is church unity. And what Paul is telling the Philippians is stop complaining and arguing as a church family. Stop complaining and murmuring and grumbling and arguing amongst yourselves. Now, what does he mean? What does it mean to, to grumble or murmur? Some versions translate it murmur. Some say grumble. It is one of those words which sounds like their meaning. For instance, the word hiss. If someone says, well, what does hiss mean? You just say hiss. That's what it means. Or buzz. What does buzz mean? You just say buzz. That's what it means. Or hum. Well, grumble is one of those words, and there's technical language on that. I'll spare you the details. But, uh, for instance, I, I don't know how this word was invented, this word grumble or murmur, but maybe something like this. And, and it's interesting how words come into our language. But uh, perhaps a, a mother said to a child one day, I want you to go to bed. And the child said, but I don't want to go to bed, but I want you to go to bed now. And the word grumble was invented as he went upstairs and grumble, murmur, grumble, grumble. So I said, ah, enough children are doing that. It must be in our vocabulary. And after a while, that word fits in, in our vocabulary. Now, that, that's not that far-fetched. I don't know where that word grumble came from, but it is a word which sounds like its meaning. Had to be invented somewhere like that. Well, the Greek word is ganguzmoi. Now, the only reason I tell you that is because that's one of those words, too. In, in the Greek language, it sounds like it's meaning, ganguzmoi. Son, go up to bed. Ganguzmoi, ganguzmoi. Uh, some Greek child running around saying ganguzmoi. That's, that's what this word is. It, it's, it's sort of someone uttering under their breath ganguzmoi. There's no other deep meaning to it. It just sounds like it means it's, it's ganguzmoi. Now, ganguzmoi or murmuring or grumbling is a, is, is a complaining spirit. It, it means it's a expression of dissatisfaction. Grumble, complain, murmur. It's a sort of muttering in a low voice so that others don't hear you. I mean, you don't even have the guts to tell them, I disagree. It's, it's that type of tone. It's an angry attitude that reflects always being bothered by what someone else said or did. It's, it's that type of thing. Now, we know what that is. I don't have to go into great details to explain that. It's, it's just a complaining spirit. It's a spirit of dissatisfaction. You tell me something and I don't like that. I don't like what you have to say. I disagree with you. In fact, uh, the word is illustrated for us in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Remember there, the uh, Greek-speaking Jewish people were grumbling or complaining against the Hebrew-speaking Jewish people because they said the Hebrew-speaking Jewish people were treating their widows better than the, the widows who spoke uh, who were Jewish but spoke the Greek language and so forth. And the Bible says there was a murmuring, there was a complaining, and the apostles dealt with it immediately. Why? Because it could divide the church. That's how serious it is. That's how serious it is. This complaining spirit can actually destroy a church. Now, Paul says in verse 14, do all things without 
ganguzmoi, without grumbling, and disputing. Basically, disputing means arguing. It could even, and it's used this way, though not in Philippians necessarily, but it could mean it here. It, it could even refer to special uh, official arguing that goes on in a court of law. That is, people taking other Christians to law. They did this in 1 Corinthians 6. They, they argued, they disputed, and it could be used that way though not necessarily. It just means an argumentative spirit, arguing, complaining. And the point that Paul is making is that the Philippians are to get along with one another. They are to live their lives without arguing and quarreling and grumbling amongst themselves. Now, I want you to understand this is the normal pattern for a church. Normal pattern for a local church. Church splits are abnormal. It seems like half the churches in America started because of a split. And we tend to live with that so much that we think, well, this is the way to plant a church. This is how it's normal. It is not normal. Church splits are abnormal. They occur usually, and we're not talking about when there's some doctrinal issue. You ought to, you ought to separate when a church has gone off from the Word of God and something that is a fundamental of the faith. But most church splits occur simply because of carnality, because somebody doesn't like something like the carpeting. Things like that. Really. It usually doesn't get any deeper than that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me show you what I mean. Why there are quarrels, usually in a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, at the beginning of this chapter, Paul writes, and I, brethren, you just turn back a few books to 1 Corinthians 3, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. I mean, I couldn't speak to you as mature people, he's saying. I'm speaking to you just as you were infants, for you are still fleshly. You haven't grown up. For since there is, watch this, jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? You're walking like the world. You're jealous, you're striving, you're fleshly, you're arguing. And the Corinthians had splits in the church. It wasn't normal. Let's look at James chapter 4. James 4, verses 1 and 2. James says very pointedly, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Have you ever wondered that? Why do people in churches not get along? Very simple. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James says, why is it that you're arguing? Because you want what you want, and you can't get what you want, and so you fight other people to get what you want. Then he goes on to say, really, if you want something so badly, you ought to just pray about it instead of fighting. If you think your way is so important, just pray about it. See, when you don't work out your salvation, the result is carnality. And what is carnality? It is living as if you were never saved. That's carnality. That is abnormal. We live so much with it that we tend to think it's normal. I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, well, uh, I'm a backslidden Christian or I'm a carnal Christian, as if that's a type of Christian that, you know, that's just the norm. That is not the norm. Sadly, the abnormal is all too common in our churches. But God has better things in mind for us than arguing and complaining. Pastor Steve will tell us more after we pause briefly to greet those who just tuned in. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is teaching from the second chapter of Philippians about unity in the church. 
Hi, this is Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse Radio. I want to take a few minutes to let you know how pleased I am that you're listening to this ministry. Our goal here at Verse by Verse is to teach people the Word of God so that they can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ and glorify Him. And from what we're hearing, that's what's happening in the lives of those who are listening. One of the great desires of my heart is to make the Word of God clear so that people can understand what God means by what He says. And based on the input that we're getting from our listeners, that's exactly what's being accomplished. Now, as a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support. We appreciate it, and we do need it. It's costly to prepare and broadcast these programs. Programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please prayerfully consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries. P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Once again, thanks. Thanks for giving to this ministry and for supporting it. And may the Lord richly bless you, strengthen you as you listen to him speak through his word, verse by verse. Now, let's get back to our class. It was Vance Havner who said, we've backslid so much in the church that, uh, or, or the church is so sub-abnormal, we have to, to backslide just to get in fellowship. Think about that. It's a backslide just to get in fellowship. Someone comes along and wants to say something spiritual, and you're, you're out of place in Christian circles often. But the standard that God has set is that we are always to get along with one another. We want our way, and if we don't get it, we're going to argue and complain and carry a chip around our shoulders, and you know scores of Christians like that. We're to get along with one another. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to, going to agree. That doesn't mean that. But that when we do disagree, it won't be with the spirit of grumbling or disputing. That's what it means. You can disagree. You know, I uh, because of, of writing in the magazine Israel My Glory and dealing with such a... Uh, a subject like election, which I've dealt with, I have gotten literally scores of letters from not just around the country, around the world. And a lot of people want to tell me how wrong I am. And I get some uh, critical letters, sometimes severely critical. I also get some letters saying thank you. But uh, my response is always the same, and I answer every letter, whether it's critical or whether it's positive, and I, I basically say this, we who are saved by grace need to be gracious and we can agree to disagree. I think that's the spirit of the, of the Word of God. We can agree to disagree. I don't expect everybody would agree to agree with me, but I expect everybody not to be disagreeable in spirit and grumbling and complaining. Now, we really can do this because notice back at verses 3 and 4 of Philippians, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You know why we grumble and complain? Because we think that our ideas are more important than somebody else. Well, certainly my way is more important, and if they don't agree with me, then I have a problem with them. I bellyache. If I thought that their proposals were more important, then I wouldn't bellyache. You see, it's a self-centeredness that's at the root of this. Can we really do this? Sure. 
It's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God produces this unity. He's at work in you to produce this. So the principle of obedience is what? Effort. The power for obedience is enablement. God enables us to do this. And the pattern for obedience is the exhortation, and this is what it tells us to do. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. But why? Why is this so important? We've been focusing on this for weeks because that's what the passage is all about. Why is this so important? Why is it so critical? Well, let's look at the purpose of obedience. And that's found in verse 15, and then we'll see also in verse 16. But this is the purpose for why Paul is focusing on this and why this is so important. And we need to understand this very well. That you, and here's the reason, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You know why it's so important to obey God about working out our salvation so that we'll be Christ-like and therefore have unity, so that we might be pure and uncontaminated light-givers in the world. In the community that we live in, in other words, it's, we do this for the sake of a good testimony for Jesus Christ. We do it for testimony. Evangelism is at the heart of this. That's not the only reason, but evangelism is at the heart of this. Let me explain what Paul is talking about. Paul is calling for the Philippians to set their own house in order so that the unsaved community around them would see them in a positive light. I want you to look at John chapter 13 and then chapter 17 to see what Paul is is saying. In John 13, just before Jesus was to be arrested and to go to the cross. And then in 40 days, he would leave the disciples, send the Holy Spirit. He gave them a farewell address. And he said in chapter 13, verse 34, I want you to know how to live while I'm gone. In the church age, in other words, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. What he's talking about is sacrifice. Lay down your life for the brethren. That's how I've loved you. Verse 35, by this, all men, the world, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Keep that thought in mind. Verse chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Same truth. Jesus is praying now that that very night. And he is praying, I do not ask in behalf of these alone. That is to say, I'm not asking just for the disciples with me, but also for those who believe in me, who will believe in me through their word. That is all the believers down the ages, those at Lakeside in 1989 and so forth. And here's what I'm praying. And here's why I'm praying that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. The world has a legitimate right to look at a church that is split and people who are ganguzmoy with one another and arguing and complaining and griping and muttering under their breath and never having a nice word to say about another believer. The world has a legitimate right to look at that church and those believers and say the message of Christianity has no credibility with me. We who profess to love God and we who profess to have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, when we can't get along with one another who we know in the family, how can we expect the world to believe us about the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son? You see, you lose all credibility. The unsaved community ought to look at us. And I don't mean just look at this building. I mean you, where you are, at work, at school, at home. 
ought to look at us and they ought to see some tangible evidence that we get along with one another. And the evidence is found, going back to Philippians chapter 2, the evidence is found in verse 15, that you may prove or become blameless and innocent. They ought to look at us and they ought to, they ought to conclude that we're blameless. Now, they may not conclude with that word, but the concept is, is there. What does blameless mean? certainly doesn't mean without sin. It certainly doesn't mean perfection, but it means that we're living a life of basic consistency in the eyes of others. That's what blameless means. It means that no legitimate charge can be leveled against us and stick. There may be charges, but they can't stick. That is to say, we live out what we profess to believe. Now, the world may not agree with what we profess to believe, but at least they can look at us and say they're not hypocrites. Our community ought to observe that we who profess to love each other actually ought to behave that way. Let me give you some just very practical advice on this. It's something that I have uh, uh, been very uh, aware of in my own life. You may have some uh, unsaved family members, unsaved people you work with. Be very careful that you don't say anything negative about a fellow believer to that person. I have had over the years to struggle with this, with my own parents. I've gone through times where I have felt so betrayed by believers, and of course you really want to open up with your parents and share things, and yet have held back. You can't say anything like that. You can't say that. Be very careful. And the principle is found in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul said, when you have a dispute, brother against brother, don't go to the, to the law courts to settle it. Settle it amongst yourselves because you don't take the dirty laundry of the church and spread it out before unbelievers. So I carry that principle to this very, this very issue of church unity. Don't say to the unsaved anything that's negative about a fellow believer. Now, don't lie to them. Just keep quiet then. They're not going to understand. So our community ought to observe that we who profess to love each other really do love each other, that, that there's no dichotomy between what you say you believe and how you live. There is, and you need to examine yourself whether you're in the faith. I mean, if that's the pattern of, of living. See, otherwise there's no credibility in our message. And also, Paul says they should see you as innocent. I think a better translation than the word innocent is the word pure. In the ancient Greek uh, in ancient Greek literature, this word uh, was used of pure wine or unalloyed metal. It, it means pure, not, not so much innocence. Uh, nobody here is really innocent. But he's talking about purity. Pure devotion to Christ is the thought here. It's unmixed, pure, undefiled, no foreign elements in it. That is to say, our community should view us as uncorrupted in our devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, they may not agree with us. Obviously, if they agreed with us, they'd be here and they'd be part of the, of the fellowship. But at least they could see that what we say we believe, we practice. Blameless and pure children. Notice what he says in verse 15. Blameless and pure children of God, above reproach. That means without blemish. Without blemish. In the midst, now watch this, of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. That's a powerful verse. May the Lord never have cause to say such a thing about you or me. Our time is nearly up for another verse-by-verse -verse Bible class of the air. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Now his weekly messages make the transition to radio through the work of Verse-by-Verse -verse Ministries. 
We are a faith ministry funded by the gifts and supported by the prayers of listeners just like you. Our class today was the middle of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at one time, you can order an audio CD by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will get back to you during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. If you missed part of the class today, you can listen to it online at versebyverseradio.org or you can download it for later. We also have plenty of previous lessons on the archives page. The web address again is versebyverseradio.org. We often say that the only difference between the saved and the unsaved person is belief. Well, there is real truth there. There was nothing special about me that caused God to show grace to me. I do not deserve to be saved. No one does. But from the moment of salvation on, there should be a difference that grows greater every day. It should be a difference that makes people sit up and take notice. And then we need to follow that up with an explanation of what it is that makes us so different. In our next verse by verse, we will consider the importance of witnessing both by our lives and our words. This is Peter Silseth. I hope to see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.